Hey, hey, Jesus people. Welcome to another episode of Keto in Christ. I'm your host, Andrea Curry, and I am very excited to hop on here tonight and share with you guys um, just some of the things that have been going on um, and just a word that uh, I feel like God has put on my heart. Uh, but before we get into that, let's open in a word of prayer and dedicate this time together onto Jesus Christ. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and I just thank you, Lord, for just being a magnificent, holy God. I, I thank you, Lord, that you have done so much, Lord Jesus, uh, to just be able to come in and have a relationship with your creation. So I just pray, Father God, um, for all those who are, are watching and listening, Lord, and, and for myself as well, that each and every day we would dig deeper and deeper into our relationship with you, that we would grow with you and get to know you better. In your holy name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. So um, a lot of you know from the previous episodes that I had a few goals that I was trying to achieve this year, one of which was to read more. Um, and thus far, it's been pretty successful. Um, I've already completed two books. Um, it, today is February 2nd. So, um, you know, I completed two books within basically like the first month of the year. So I feel like I am on target to exceed my own expectations. Um, my goal was to read 10 books this year um, because I used to be a very avid reader. In fact, um, I used to be somebody who like literally walked across the street with a book in my face. You just see me walking around, um, and my nose would just always, always be in a book. Um, even when I was crossing the street, if I was sitting down for a moment, um, I always had a book in my hand. And I really missed the luxury of reading. And even when I was in college, I was an English literature um, major. So I really love not only reading, um, but actually analyzing the things that I'm reading. So um, I read a lot of the classics and I, I was always reading fiction, nonfiction, journals, anything I get my hands on. Um, and over the years, you know, I just haven't really been reading too many books. And I wanted that to change because I have a huge library that continues to grow. Um, but it has a lot of books on there that I've never read. So or I've partially read like literally I could probably pull five books from that shelf right now that have bookmarks still in them from where I stopped reading. Some of them are halfway through. Some of them are a few chapters in. Um, some of them are even like towards the end and I just never finished them. So um, it was a simple goal. It was a small goal, but a goal nonetheless. And um, as I'm reading, um, and focusing on reading more, one of the things that I want to make sure that I'm reading more of is um, books on theology, books that are going to bring me closer to God um, and really push me in my relationship with him. Um, so I started out with reading Flame of Love. Um, this is a very deep uh, theological like study book. It's, it's literally a theology of the Holy Spirit. So it's taken me a little bit longer to get through. This is definitely not a um, easy read. It's not something, it's something to really sit there and you kind of have to like really pay attention um, and, and understand what's happening. So um, I'm going through this one a little bit slower. I'm still reading it, but um, definitely not complete. 
Um, but I did have a fiction series that I started that I finished the first book of that series. And then I also read this book. Um, I just finished it this morning and that was kind of why I wanted to hop on today. Um, it's uh, for those of you that aren't watching on YouTube, it's called Authentic Worship, The Path to Greater Unity with God. And it's A.W. Towser, um, who, you know, a lot of people, if you've been saved for any amount of time, you've probably heard that name. You've probably seen his books. Um, the Pursuit of God is another one of his that I read many years ago um, that I might be reading again this year because I just I really enjoy reading um, his his work. Um, when he starts out in this book, um, the forward, when they're talking about um, him and I forget who who um, did his introduction. Uh, let's see, who is the introduction by um, when they're doing his introduction they're talking about this time where he is set to um, speak at a youth conference at a university and he's not showing up. They don't know where he is. Um, the stage is empty and they actually have to get another speaker to come and speak in his place because he's just nowhere to be found. And later on they find him and they're like, where were you? And he's just like, I was, I was worshiping God. I was in Jesus's presence. I, I had a better appointment is actually how I think he phrased it, or I had a more important appointment. Um, and I really just love that, that idea of just authentically worshiping God. And it makes me think back to when I first got saved and just, you know, that whole entire time when I was in college, um, I really would just spend so many hours just in his presence, in prayer, praying for the people around me, praying for my relationship with God, interceding. And I would just have this amazing, awesome time with God. And it didn't matter where I was on the campus. It didn't matter what time of day it was. Anytime I could, I would pick up the Bible. I would sit down. I would pray. I would talk to him. I would read his word. And it was just this constant back and forth of conversation with God. Um, and not to say that I don't still have that, but it's just, I, I noticed through the years that it, it kind of waned um, because of a lot of situations that I went through um, in you know, my relationship and other things that happened that drew me away from the best thing that I ever knew and the best thing that I ever want to know, which is the presence of God that you feel and experience when you are in a moment of authentic worship for God. There is nothing better than his presence. I mean, uh, over the last few weeks, I've just been spending more and more time with him and, you know, I don't want to leave it. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day, especially after reading that story of A.W. Hauser. And there was there, there was this point where I was just so deep in praise and worship with him that I, I really was like, do I have to really leave my house right now and go do work? Do I have to go to the gym? Like, I just didn't want to leave his presence. And I just had a better appointment. And I thank God for that. I thank God for moments like that. And it was just such a refresher. Um, to be reminded of my first love and to be reminded of just how much I love spending time in his presence. 
And there's a portion in this book that he talks about that I think is so relevant and true today. And it's so funny because I was scrolling on Instagram, you know, just kind of going through and I fell on this pastor who was talking about um, us as believers, how, how we're to speak up and everything. And he says, you know, there's a lot of people in this room right now that if I told you that you didn't have to speak up as a Christian, a lot of you go, oh, oh, you breathe a fresh air in your lungs and just take take a sigh of relief because you wouldn't have to talk about the most amazing human that ever existed. And he goes on to say, you know, even the people that were commanded in the Bible not to talk about Jesus could not help but open their mouth. And I think that um, in days like today, you know, where it's it's cool to say that you're a Christian, but it's it's uncool to talk about Jesus. You know, a lot of people could wear a cross on their neck. A lot of people could say, oh, yes, I believe in, in Jesus. You know, and the Bible tells us that, you know, even the demons believe and they cower in fear. So how could we move past just that passivity of saying we're a Christian or saying that we believe and I believe that the answer to that is that authentic worship. It's getting into the presence of God and having that be our center focus, not God answering our prayers or our requests or the things that we want to see him do in our lives, but abandoning all just to be at his feet, to pour our oil on him and to spend time just with him, knowing him. And when we know who God is, it helps us to know who we are and what he's calling us to. And so there's there's um, a point that he makes in this book, and I'll, I'll read that portion to you guys now, that speaks directly to that. He's talking about um, silent Christians. And it was just something that really spoke to me because I think if I had to tell you what my biggest my biggest pet peeve in the church today is it is this whole concept of being silent as a believer of believing that well you know live your life as Christ lived and if when necessary use words is so unbiblical and yes we're supposed to reflect the character of Christ and uh, by no means are you know our words to also discount our actions we are to live as Christ but over and over again we're called by Jesus to go forth and speak the word of the gospel you know the bible says um and i'm sorry i'm not sh- sharing the verses um because they're coming to my mind but i can't remember exactly where they are now but the bible says that how how will they know unless they hear and that faith comes by believing and believing comes by hearing the word of god how are they going to hear if we don't go forth to tell them Who's, how, how can they hear the word of God if God's people are remaining silent? If we're too afraid to talk about Jesus in our jobs or in our schools or in our houses to, you know, our spouses. If you're in a, a marriage where your spouse is unsaved or if you have cousins and uncles and brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus, how are they to know who he is if you won't open up your voice and tell them? You could go to church every Sunday. That's fantastic. That's good. You should go to church every Sunday. You shouldn't forsake the fellowship or the gathering together of the brethren because that is how you're going to be encouraged 
and in strengthen to share the word of God. But how are they going to know if you don't open your mouth? And, you know, um, I just want to read what it says here in this book. It says, when we come to God in Christ and give ourselves to him, one of the first things we do is to say, Abba, Father. I've, other, I've heard others say that we will be surprised when we get to heaven to find people who were silent or secret Christians who never talked about their faith or their relationship with God. However, are not the things closest to our hearts that which we talk about the most? Think about just that one thing before I continue. It says, however, are not the things closest to our hearts that which we talk about the most? What are you talking about the most? What matters more to you than talking about Jesus? Than telling somebody about the salvation of our, our, our lives? What, what in this world could possibly matter more than pointing somebody to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Ask yourself that question. What is the closest things that are in your heart? Because it's so true. I mean, we get so passionate about things. I, For example, I love sharks. I could talk your ear off for a long time about pointless, useless things that I know about sharks because I love them so much. And I will. If somebody's interested, I, I, I will tell them about the anatomy of a shark. I'll tell you about the Ampelai of Lorenzini, how they have these pores underneath their, their snout that um, they use the electromagnetic fields through those pores to seek for prey in the ocean and also navigate around our seas. I, I find that fascinating. And if you interrupt these ampullae of Lorenzini, they'll go into a state of tonic immobility where they'll just freeze. And some sharks like it, almost like little puppy dogs. They'll let you rub them. Um, and I, I mean, I could go on and on. You know, uh, did you know, for example, that there's some sharks that I could actually walk on land? <laughs> that one, look up, it'll blow your mind. Um, there's also all sorts of different types of sharks. There's, I think over some, I want to say over 200 variety of sharks. And to me, when I think about those things, it points me back to my creator because I am fascinated about how God has developed this absolutely perfect predator that is just so glorious and still has something in it, innate in it that enjoys pleasure, how God has created us. Um, even animals to have these different sensory feelings of wanting to experience things that are, are both good and bad. Like we're able to feel pain, but we're also able to feel such immeasurable joy. Um, so when I think about sharks, it, it again, it points me back in some way to God and who he is and the amazing creation he's created. Um, but again, that's something that is on my heart. I, so I'm passionate about that. That's something I'm going to talk about. Um, those who know me know that I will bring up Jesus whenever possible. And that's why I think this is one of my biggest pet peeves is because I feel like sometimes I have to water down my talk of Jesus around my fellow Christians, you know, and, and that's something that I think we all need to really consider when we're around even the people in our church. How often is Jesus getting brought up in your conversations? If you're sitting around with a group of brothers and sisters in Christ and Jesus never comes up. He's never the topic of conversation. I would say, and I would advise you to probably get into a new group of brothers and sisters in Christ because that that's kind of dangerous. If every time you're together with brothers and supposedly brothers and sisters in the Lord and Jesus never comes up in conversation, how is that possible? When every single person who's ever had a personal encounter with Christ can't keep their mouth closed. 
They can't shut up about him. All throughout the Bible, he keeps telling them, don't tell anybody what I did. And immediately they run and they have to tell everyone they know. The woman at the well, she was despised, despised by the people in her community. They thought she was trash because she had been married five times and was currently living with a man she didn't, she wasn't even married to. And yet Jesus reveals to her who he is and she runs back in town with excitement, facing the very people who probably taunted her and kept a, an arm's length away from her because, because she was not living the way that they felt that she should, okay? She could not help but run and tell them all that the Messiah is here. The King is here. Come, let me show you where he's at. And people followed her. Because of her excitement, because they saw that there was something different about her. Something had changed. Um, anyway, I, I digress of my own commentary and go back to this. However, are not the things closest to our hearts that which we talk about the most? The silent Christian says, I haven't anything to say. I worship God in my heart. Once again, that's a miss. The seraphim use their voices to proclaim, holy, holy, holy. And the Bible links faith to such expression. Faith that never gives way to expression is not a biblical faith. For we believe in our hearts and with our lips confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and so we shall be saved. I often wonder about those who sit around on the edge and have not led in prayer in a church service. Year after year goes by and that person never prays aloud. Perhaps they would say, I worship God in my heart. And I wonder... Really, if they do, I wonder if they are simply excusing the fact that they haven't taken in enough spiritual meat to get their mounts working, opening them in prayer and in worship. God gave the seraphim voices. I don't know what they should they sounded like. Being seraphim, I would suppose they had musical voices. Regardless, they were talking and expressing themselves in their adoration of God. Now the question is, has God got your voice? And can God look to you to testify, to bear witness? Is there something like you, like an impulse that wants to talk about him and his greatness? Or do you discreetly keep your mouth shut and say nothing? You know all about the world's ways, but has God got your voice when it comes to God and Christ? And can you talk to your schoolmates and friends about the Lord Jesus? Can you say a word about him? Do you dare bow your head in a moment of silence and thanksgiving before you eat? Does your voice belong to God? I mean, if that won't wake you up and make you think about whether or not you are walking in authentic worship, I don't know what would. Because for me, statements like that are so powerful to really think of. Does God got your voice? And if he doesn't, what does? What in this world is so much more important than pointing people towards Jesus? Now, um... I'm somebody who's very vocal. I'm very vocal about the things that I think that are right and wrong in this world. Um, but I do so in with discretion. And over the years, I've become more wise in that way. Because what matters to me more than whether or not I am on the right side of an argument is whether I'm on the right side of my God. And what do I mean by that? There's a lot of things in this world that I find very corrupt, very wrong. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you about the government all, all till I'm blue in the face, okay? And the things that I'm seeing in the world today, how, you know, there's so many things going on 
that are so corrupt. I see all these things happening with all these farmers, right, in all these other countries and everything. And I'm wondering when the farmers in the USA are going to, you know, jump in and start, you know, making waves. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't because in our country, the farmers have these huge high subsidies to create crops that are the reason why so many of us are sick. You know, corn and soy products are basically in everything that is highly produced in our country. And it all comes down to this thing called the Farm Bill that is a living document that is voted on by our congressmen all the time. It's been barely updated since the 1920s and allows subsidies for these crops um, such as corn, which really disrupt the earth and cause the soil that they're in to be uh, really wasted for many, many years after a corn crop has come up. They can't just keep reusing that same soil. Um, and the same thing with soy. And that's why it's in so many of these mass um, products that we see. That's why we have so much... Um, oh my goodness, why am I losing my train of thought? Maybe because it's not important. I don't know. Maybe the Lord is trying to stop me right here in my tracks. Because as I was saying... <laughs> There are things that are more important to talk about than than politics was my whole point. And now here I am on on a train and um, I feel like God just kind of derailed me and brought me back to earth. Because realistically speaking, I mean, if you don't open up your eyes and see that our government in a large, large way has really corrupted our society and is trying to ruin their people, uh, you've been sleeping under a rock. That's that's all I could say about that. But. Um, I digress. I was going into the whole thing with our food. Um, that's one way that they just control the cost of food and create these cycles of healthy food just being super expensive and unhealthy food being super, super cheap. And who does that really affect more than anybody? Um, middle to lower class Americans. That's who it affects. It doesn't affect upper class because they could afford to buy organic products. They could afford to buy products that don't have pesticides and all sorts of other things in them. Um, they could afford to buy meat that isn't being pumped full of antibiotics. That is probably the reason why so many people can't get the right medications to get rid of their infections or why girls are developing um, at super crazy rates. Um, I mean, <laughs> anyway, Again, I digress. See, this is what I mean. I could talk about these things all day till I'm blue in the face. And I used to post about them all the time. Um, and I still, from time to time, will throw something out there talking about these things because they are important. How we're treated in society is important. And God does call his people to take a stand when the things of this world are coming against the people of God. Um, but the Bible also calls us to obey the laws of the land. So I could only do so much. Um, I partially consider myself a little bit of a political activist. There have been times where I've taken um, place in protest and lobbying for different rights and different concerns of mine. Um, not bringing fracking into New York was another huge one for me. Um, if you don't know what fracking is, look it up. I don't have, I, again, this is, <laughs> I'm going into railing because I decided to, to talk about politics because it's, again, it's another thing. Um, that is com something that I'm passionate about. I think that people need to be paying attention to their politicians and what they're doing and how they're trying to change things. A lot of people, a vast majority of Americans barely vote. And when they do vote, they only vote in the presidential election. Like whose president really affects our local government? 
because it doesn't. I mean, look at what's happening right now in Texas. Texas is literally standing up to the president and not listening to him. Why? Because they have their own governing body. They have their own constitution for their state, which almost every single state has. And they are literally standing on the law that has been governing the United States for the beginning of time. They're standing on the constitution, um, which breaks down government in order for there to be a check and balance by giving states their own set of, uh, what you call it, empowerment and ability to govern um, and and to be able to check the president. Like, I mean, all of these things <laughs> are very important. And most people don't vote in local elections, which boggles my mind. I used to be a poll worker and I used to think it was so crazy to see how few people come out and vote for our local politicians. So much so that most of the time there's only one politician running. They barely ever get run against. And so the same things happen over and over again. Um, luckily in my own district, I have somebody that I like who's in power. So, um, no shade there like to, to that congressman. Um, because even if he was not running unopposed, I would have voted for him. So, um, but <laughs> needless to say, these things are important and we should be voting for people that are going to come into office. We should be praying for people to come into office, um, that know God, that love God and that want to point our government towards God. So there is a need for Christians to be awake and to be aware of these things and to have these things be a part of discussions that we have. But I guess my whole point is some Christians bring it to an absolute extreme in the opposite direction where political party becomes identity above identity as Christ. Um, I don't think that Jesus would have been a Republican or a Democrat. Um, based on the word of God, <laughs> he really wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have chosen a political party. And I'll tell you where that evidence comes from. There is a point where um, there is a battle going on. I'm trying to remember exactly where in scripture it was. It's in the Old Testament. Um, and I believe it, it was with, I want to say it was with Moses. I want to say it was with Moses or it was with Joshua or it might have been in Judges. I have to look it up. Um, where's my phone? Cause I could literally Google this right now while I'm talking about it. It is one of the things that I think was one of the greatest statements that God ever made when being asked whose side he was on. Where literally, where is my phone? Okay. Well, anyway, there's this battle going on and, uh, one of the people, one of the Israelites, I don't know why I want to say that it was Jacob, but that just really sounds wrong to me, but maybe I'm right. I don't know. Um, <laughs> they're fighting a battle against their enemy and they, they see an angel comes to them, appears to them, and he asks on whose side God is. And, you know, the angel responds that God is on neither side. God can give favor in a fight. He could, he could allow, you know, um, one side to overcome another. Uh, depending on which side is honoring him and calling on to him. But God created all of mankind. He loves all of his people. And he gave us these minds to be able to have these intellectual thoughts that allow us to have opposing positions. He gave us free will. He gave us the ability to have um, choices in our lives and, and decide on which side of things and matters we will fall on. 
And I think in some capacity, not in every situation, because there's some things that are just flat out wrong and against God that God would not have us follow that, you know, some political parties might follow. But, um, you know, in some cases, as believers in Jesus Christ, we might fall on the opposite side of opinions on something, right? But neither of those opinions that we have really go against the word of God. They go against our own opinion or our own feeling of how things should go, but they don't go against God. So therefore, God is not on either person's side. And um, I'll use, I'll use for example, something that happened to me um, when I was on student government. You know, there was this issue with my vice president and we actually ended up going forth and going through with the steps to have them removed from office. And during that whole process, um, a majority of my senators were wanting to remove this person, myself included. I felt that they had not um, been walking appropriately in the steps of the office that they were in, that they had overstepped and, and done some things that required for us to take action and have her removed. And I felt very strongly that God was pushing me in that direction. It wasn't something that I just did willy nilly. Um, and even the senators that were with me at that time knew that because they had wanted her out way before then. And I told them, um, kind of some of them I told straight out that, you know, I was bringing this before God. Others, I had explained it, explained to them that we're going to give her the opportunity to see if she could change after we've come to her and brought us, brought her our concerns. Um, but I let them know that, you know, I felt very strongly that if these things continued, that she needed to be removed. And it was something that I had constantly brought to God in prayer. And I remember even at one point, the um, vice president of student affairs at that time had asked for me to come into the office. And I was sitting there with the student life director. And the three of us were sitting there and um, the trial was the next day um, to see what the outcome would be if this person would be removed. And they asked me to have it stop. They were like, you know, if anybody could stop this right in its track and leave this girl where she is, it's you. Um, please, you know, I know you're a praying woman. These are the words that she used. I know you're a praying woman. Um, can you please stop this? And I looked at her and very confidently said, you know, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. I am a praying woman, which is why I know I need to take these steps and I need to, um, you know, have this woman, um, be held accountable for her actions because I serve a just God. Hey, hey, Jesus people. Thank you for watching part one of Authentic Worship. Stay tuned for episode five, where we continue this discussion as we go deeper into a life surrendered to God. God bless you and have a great night.